Welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast with author and birth coach Alexia Leachman. Listen to mums share their positive birth stories, birthing experts sharing their wisdom, and Alexia as she shares her tips, tools, and techniques to help you prepare for a fear free birth. If you have birthing fears you want to clear, Alexia has created a free three part video series showing you exactly how you can clear your childbirth fears. Head over to www.fearfreechildbirth.com and sign up today. And now it's time for the show. Hello and welcome to episode 203 of the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leachman, and thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on today's podcast, I'm going to be joined by guest Sophie Messager, who's going to be talking all about birthing traditions and baby wearing and lots of other stuff, actually, because she is such a fascinating lady. But I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a while, because I've got a few little things to update you on. Um, but first of all, I want to say some hellos. I want to say hello to Jennifer. Jennifer, thank you so much for your lovely email. Jennifer wrote to me thanking me that she's found the podcast. And she, like me, completely has a fear of pain. When I was pregnant, I had a massive fear of pain. And that was one of the things that completely freaked me out in my first pregnancy. And when she heard my birthing story, she's like, I've got that fear of pain too. Thank you so much for calling it that that's really helped me so good luck on your pregnancy Jennifer she's very early on in her pregnancy still in her first trimester so I wish you all the best I really do and then a big hello to Gabriella too Gabriella she downloaded the due date cheat sheet and she said I love doing this it gave me peace of mind because her first child was overdue and she puts that in inverted commas by 10 days and so she now says that knowing her new due date makes her feel at peace and happy so well I'm so please Gabriella to help you in this way and anything that I can do to help you feel more at peace and happy during your pregnancy makes me a very happy person indeed. Uh, If you're listening and you haven't got the due date cheat sheet and you think that this is something that you would find useful then just go to the free stuff page on the fearfreechildbirth.com website where there's loads of other free stuff. I've just added loads of new stuff to that page so you can really I've put all the stuff there that's come from all the episodes where all my guests have offered some really good free stuff for you. So you you can just dive right in and grab what you need, including the due date sheet sheet. And that's not all. I've added some more new stuff to the website as well. I'm not sure if you've checked out the shop area and I've not really mentioned it. I probably should have. But there is a shop area and you can buy some fearless birthing meditations. These are meditations that are are there to help you to release your fears. So I added three more there this week. So this week there's one for fear of pain, there's one for fear of losing dignity and another one for fear of losing control. Already in there there's one for fear of needles and injections. So if there's anything there that that you've got as a fear then dive right in and see what you think will help you on your journey. These are the meditations that are all part of my Fearless Birthing Academy, which is the online programme that I have to help women on their journey to a fear-free birth. Anyway, enough of that and back to today's episode. Now, I'm not one for regrets, but if there's one regret that I have about my last pregnancy and birth, it's that I didn't really mark the moment or honour it with some kind of ritual, you know, some thing that would help me to kind of take a moment and really appreciate 
what I was experiencing, where I was at in my life and how it was sort of signalling such a new phase for me as a woman, as a person in my identity and all that kind of stuff. You know, during my first pregnancy, I had a baby shower, but since then, all my thoughts and my ideas around pregnancy and birth have changed massively. And I think when I was a first-time mum, I was caught up in a lot of the stuff that a lot of first-time mums do get caught up in because they go, they Google, I'm pregnant, and they get drawn to the usual places that new mums go, which might include things like Baby Centre website or what to expect when you're expecting or Mumsnet and that kind of thing. And those kind of sites do tend to focus on some of the, what I call the surface aspects of birth, you know, how your body is changing through your pregnancy, what size your baby's at, whether the baby's a melon or an aubergine or... Or, you know, in terms of what's going on in your body or what your symptoms are at that time in your pregnancy or what maternity clothes that you should be looking at that don't compromise your style and all that kind of stuff. And really, for me, a lot of this is quite consumer focused and getting you to buy stuff. You know, there's all this talk about what prams to buy, what cot to buy, what carrier to buy, all this kind of stuff. And really, there wasn't really anything when I, when I think back to my own pregnancy journey that was kind of pointing me to look at and understand that I was currently in the middle of this huge transformative and spiritual period of my life. I was about to become a mother. I was about to sort of change my identity. I was about to go through this very powerful event and I didn't come across anything that was kind of preparing me for that and sort of saying, hey, this is about to happen. Why don't you kind of stop for a moment and just take a look around, notice what's happening enjoy where you're at, appreciate the journey you're about to go on, stop for a moment and just be. And yeah, th this is what I didn't have. And I kind of wish that I did. And now when I look back, I, I really, that, so that was one of my regrets, I think, is that I wish I had taken more time when I was in it. But also I think it's as a result of my own journey that I'm now open to this kind of stuff. It's because of my own powerful birth experiences that I'm open to the spiritual power of birth, the magic of birth, the, the sheer momentousness of the birthing occasion. But also, you know, since having this podcast, I've been blessed with so many amazing chats with the guests that I've had on this show that have really helped to really open my own mind around what's possible with birth. And so now I'm sitting here as somebody that hopefully isn't going to be pregnant again because I'm sort of a bit too old for that now, I think. Um, but I really wish that when I was pregnant and certainly pregnant as a first time mum, that I could have had somebody going, hey, you know what, this is a really big deal, actually. So why don't you just stop for a moment and look at what you could be doing during your pregnancy rather than getting distracted by prams and cots and clothes and and all this stuff that really doesn't matter actually so um if you like buying stuff and shopping and all that stuff then you might just get bored of this chat because it's probably not for you we are going to be talking about birthing traditions uh, we're going to be talking about some of the ceremonies that you can do to honor birth and prepare the mother for birth and what you can do post-birth so to help me with all this i've invited sophie messager onto the podcast. Sophie is a doula. She's a childbirth educator, a baby wearing consultant. And she was a scientist. But when she had her children, she decided that science wasn't for her anymore. And she was completely inspired by the whole birthing thing. And that's what made her retrain to be a doula. And when I first discovered 
Sophie's work I knew I had to get her on the podcast because I saw her talking about all these birthing traditions and I was like I want to know more about this I don't know anything about this I wish I'd known more about it and I need to get her on the podcast and so that's what I did and she jumped at the chance and we had a such an amazing chat that in fact we went beyond birthing traditions in terms of what we spoke about so here are just some of the things that we've talked about we talked about baby wearing because Sophie is a baby wearing consultant so what is baby wearing and why you should consider it and what type of baby wearing is available to you. If you're not sure what I'm on about here, I'm talking about slings and baby carriers and that kind of stuff. Also, we talk about a ceremony called closing the bones. And we're going to talk more about what that is, where it comes from and how it can help mums to recover postnatally. We also talk about rebozo, which is a shawl, a scarf that's used within the closing the bones, but is also forms part of tradition that we also talk about. Then we talk about mother blessings, which is like an alternative to the baby shower. And I wish I'd done a mother blessing. This is the regret that I'm talking about. I wish I'd done a mother blessing. And I've already had a doula on the show, Nicola Goodall that talked about mother blessings and I remember thinking oh yeah that just sounds so lovely so Sophie talks a little bit more about mother blessings as well and then she also talks about some of the other cultural traditions that exist around the world to honour birth she's married to a Chinese person so there's a little bit of influence coming there but she's got friends that she talks to a lot and to understand what those birthing traditions are so she shares some of those with us and then finally she talks about the need for a postpartum plan a recovery plan and why that's important and what you can think about doing within a postpartum plan for you. So as you can see, there's loads of stuff that Sophie is going to talk about today. So I hope that you enjoy today's podcast. It's a real treat. And as an extra bonus, Sophie has offered some extra free goodies that you can download to go with today's episode. Uh, We're going to talk more about those at the end, she's going to mention those during the show, but I'll remind you and tell you what they are at the end. But basically, little sneak preview, top tips on baby wearing and, and all that kind of stuff. So buckle down, get comfy, get a drink, whatever it is, and listen up to, and listen to Sophie message it, talk about all these wonderful things that I've talked about. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Well, hello, Sophie, and welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Hi, Alexia. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, we're going to have such an interesting conversation because we're going to be talking about getting back to the spiritual traditions of pregnancy and birth. And this is something that I'm incredibly fascinated about. And yet I have to confess, I know very little about. Um, A few of my previous guests have talked about and hinted at this kind of stuff, and I'm really fascinated. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. So thank you for coming on. Thank you. So before we start, let's just, would you mind just telling the listeners a little bit more about what you do, how you work, and how you came to do what you're doing. You know, why do you do the work you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was a scientist by training, and um, that was a career I loved, and I was very passionate about. And then 10 years ago, I had my first child, and I had a doula. And the doula started me on this journey by lending me books. You know, she lent oh. me those books, and because I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of an information freak, you know, I just started reading all these books, and then the passion... Mm. I was just discovering this whole world that I didn't know was there. My passion just went, you know, shifted completely towards pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding and using slings and all this kind of world that I knew nothing about. And so when my child was a bit older and I went back to work, I just remember thinking, what now? You know, what do I do? Because I, the, my heart wasn't in it anymore and I was really soul destroying. And so I spent a bit of time soul searching and then I started retraining and uh, what that led me to do is quit science completely 
um, to become a doula. Okay. So I do birth and postnatal doula. I became a, an antenatal teacher. And uh, I became somebody who's a baby-wearing instructor. And most people don't really understand what that means. Usually it goes in that order. Antenatal teacher, most people have heard of doula. Some Not people sure. have heard yeah. of baby-wearing instructor. People go, what? So let's just talk about that then. What, you know, for those people that don't know what a baby wearing instructor is, how would you describe what that is? So I'm somebody who, who um, her, her parents um, use and choose a sling. Mm. Um, and what I'm, I use sling in a very wide sense of the word. I mean, any carrier, yeah? Okay. Um, I, so I'm formally trained in that. There is formal training in this area. I can uh, imagine. Well, because I know I've struggled big time with slings. I've yeah. been through about three or four and some of them I just got so tangled. So exactly. I can yeah. totally understand that you'd need training to use these things. They're like jeans. So the, one of the things I, I have to repeatedly give as an information is that's why I do what I do is people don't realize that what worked for their friends what worked for them might not work for the, for their friends and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So they, they, you have to try before you buy. So the, the dream sling for someone would be the nightmare sling for you. It, might, it needs to fit your lifestyle. It needs to fit your body type. You know, it needs to feel comfortable and you have to want to use it. Yeah. It also needs to fit your child. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's not something you can, you know, you can't f find one that's right for you by just, going online and reading the marketing material of companies and thinking that's a thing for me because oh yeah that's what i did like that. <laughs> that's what i so did when i when i work with in as, with groups or individuals i i have a very large collection of things i have well over 70 okay. and i come with a, with parents i come with a weighted doll and and if they don't know what they want i show them everything there is you know not the 70 but I, they they kind of work into four different categories really wraps which are long pieces of cloth ring sling which goes over one shoulder with two rings mm -hmm. uh, and my ties which is a square of fabric with four straps and buckle carriers which look a bit like rucksack they've got, they've got clips they've closed with clips rather than knots mm -hmm. and I start from there and I'm completely guided by the parents because the essence of my work is that I don't know what's right for you mm -hmm. you do yeah. But my job is to put the stuff in front of you so you can find out. Yeah. And when I work with um, people who work with parents, so I spend a whole day, I do a workshop, um, which is a peer supporter workshop. So I'm trained at what we call consultant level. So if you want to become a sling consultant, you need to do a course that's usually between three and four days long. Mm -hmm. I've done three of those with three different schools because that's how I am. You get different <laughs> things from different schools. Um, and, you know, in the peer supporter workshop, I, I, there's a lot of theory and a lot of practice. So I make sure the people who train with me try every single type of thing that they're confident using it. And also that they know how to make it comfortable, how to make it safe. And most importantly, how to work with parents in a way that is empowering for them. So never criticizing, never... You know, um, we work, we do role play on like somebody coming with a baby in a really unsafe position and they have to facilitate that without making the person feel like crap. Yeah, yeah. That's a big element of the philosophy behind it. It's, it's, I guess that's a lot of the doula philosophy as well. It's about supporting parents to go where they want to go, but with a held experience of somebody mm. who's basically helping you find the the right thing for you in, in the middle of the jungle of choices that there is, mm -hmm. but in a way that's not got any agenda. You know, I don't, my, the, the, the only agenda is I want the person to f come out of the session feeling happy and confident and that they can do it. It's not that it's perfect. It's not that 
there is one type that's better than the other. It's 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 about that they they feel you know um, able mm-hmm. by the end of it. So just thinking about baby wearing, there are going to be some women that are kind of really up for that, and then there are going to be some that don't really understand it. Thinking, well, I've got a pram. Why? Why would I need to? Why would I yeah. need that? So just to sort of for those people that really don't get it or yeah. that are really um, wondering what is what is it about baby wearing that makes it so appealing or so attractive? What what would you be able to say to people like that? Just to sort um, of open their eyes to it, really. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm going to say first is that. I'm not the sling police. (laughs) um, If you, I say to people in my classes, you know, some people use only pram, some people use pram and sling. It's great to have option. And some people only use slings and don't Mm. use prams at all. Mm. I'm not going to have any, you know, trying to push the agenda one way or the other, but where the sling is really, really useful for, in my opinion, most people is we are primates. Where do you Mm. see primate babies? Yeah, they're not in prams. (laughs) Yeah. And so if I had a, pound for every parent who said to me I can't put my baby down I would be extremely rich I think there is a small proportion of babies who are quite happy to be put down but in my experience especially when they are very small you know when there's this I don't know if you've heard this idea of the fourth trimester but yeah uh, the babies who protest being away from your body in the first three months um, the majority and so if you have no way of carrying your baby if you have no carrying help you know thing to carry your baby in and your baby refuses to be put down. And you are, because we are alone, most of us, when we have our first baby, you know, the majority of us, the uh, partner goes back to work within two weeks and then we are left at home all day with no social circle mm-hmm. and a baby refuses to be put down. And can't, you can't eat, you can't make yourself a drink. It's, it's terrible. Whereas if you got the, the baby in the sling, usually they're quite happy. Yeah. And at least you can get on with doing things for you whilst yeah. the baby's happy. It feels very empowering. Because yeah. suddenly you think, yeah, I can do this, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good at parenting because it, it, it goes a lot further than that because there's evidence that it can help with postnatal depression. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, you know, I, I think there's very few parents who are not going to benefit from using a carrier at least some of the time because practically... You know, when you go to places like London Subway, yeah, 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 with yeah. pram on your own. <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> Every time I go to London and I watch these poor mums oh. on their own with a big pram going up these electric stairs, you know, and I'm, because there's no elevators in most London no, well, stations. some of them don't even have escalators. I just don't know how they do it. I, I, feel, uh, I feel really sorry for them. Mm. Public transport, again, um, I understand that I understand that some buses, most buses won't let people have more than two prams yeah so people queue at the bus stop and this bus arrives there's already two prams in there so tough you have to wait for the next one yeah or you're competing against a wheelchair and then it's yeah. like really horrible yeah. you know you're so like who who deserves to get on the bus first the wheelchair or the mum with the pram and that's an awful one and then things with. like um i've just been on holidays <laughs> beach holiday a few weeks ago and <laughs> you see people pulling push chairs on the sand you know no, okay. backwards <laughs> yeah yeah. That's you know that that kind of situation mm-hmm. in the airport when you you know at some in the airport you can keep your child in a pushchair but at some stage you're going to take your pushchair and you have to go up the plane. Yeah. Um, you know, there's lots and lots of situation up the plane with no means of carrying your child. There's mm-hmm. lots and lots of situation in everyday life where it's much easier and, and situation like when you have more than one child. Mm-hmm. So I've done sling consultation with people who didn't carry their first child, but. The second arrival, suddenly they're like, I need my hands to hold the hands of that one. You know, I've done sleep constitution with a mum of three, would not carry the first two, but the two, two younger ones were quite small and she couldn't hold their hand and push, push there at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. So having a sling it meant that she had both her hands back. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You can't push a, a toddler on the swing when you've got a crying baby in the pram if you want to attend, but you can have a baby close to you in the sling and still have your hands back. Yeah. It really helps. Yeah. So it's, an, it's a no-brainer, basically, isn't it? It's an absolute no-brainer to be looking yeah. at this. Yeah. And so you talked about the four different types of um, slings. Mm-hmm. And so is there one that, you know, I, I know you said it all depends on the parent and the kind yeah. of lifestyle they have. But is there, you know, is there one that you see parents sort of choosing that, that seems to be the preferred option or that, that a lot of people like? Um, my experience in, in the UK, yeah. um, my personal experience in the UK is that um, people find it easier to use something a bit more structured. Mm. So, um, with the clips, you mean that kind of thing, or, or the, that you tie with? I've got some that tie with Velcro on the waist, you know, all sorts yeah. of stuff like that. That that um, there are people who absolutely love wraps, and people really like stretchy wraps with a newborn. But mm. I find that um, some people are really intimidated by the idea of a big piece of cloth to wrap mm. around themselves. So, in my personal experience the majority of people tend to go for something a little bit more structured yeah. um, that, that is kind of preformed on you and you just kind of tie it on your waist, put a baby in and then tie the shoulders or something. Yeah. That, that some, of the, some of the structure of the sling is already, is already there. Yeah, yeah. I, think I, I think I went scary for that. Yeah, I used the, put the baby um, in for the first time. Because even with the ones like that, I still managed to get my help myself into a right old tangle and clip the wrong mm. bits off and get bits yeah. caught in car doors and, you know, so have to be tying not at the side of the pavement. Just, yeah, yeah I can totally understand the uh, overwhelming kind of intimidation side of that completely. So, um, so how long would you spend with the parents then to help them? So um, when I do, do work on either an individual basis or a s- small group, um, I'm talking about a group of, say, Four couples or something. I I tend to spend a couple of hours. Okay. It goes quickly because one to one, you know, with babies, the nature of them is they might need a feed or a nappy or something in the middle of it. It's not a continuous process. It's not a. I'm coming with because I like to go through a bit of theory with some pictures first, explaining how babies' spines and hips develop and why you need to know about that. So yeah, that you're respecting Mm. that when you're carrying your baby. Um, and then there's a big element on making sure it's safe so that baby's airway is safe. Yeah. Um, because most of the work I do, I do with parents of very young babies. Yeah. And so that's very important to make sure that carrying is safe. And so how long do people typically baby wear? Because I know when I was using a sling in, with my both my babies, I didn't really go beyond the first few months because they just got too heavy. And I was like, oh, that's I can't right. be doing this now. <laughs> yeah, most people's experience, because, because marketing being the way it is, most people's experience is going to be with what I call a narrow-based high-street carrier. Yeah. So the, I'm not going to name brands. because, no. <laughs> But you, you picture what yeah. I'm talking about. And the problem with most of those is that don't spread the weight very well on the parent's body. So most mm. people find that within a few weeks after the birth, I'm saying, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks, yeah. it hurts their back. Yeah. yeah. And then they say, I can't carry my child anymore. Yeah. Um, what I can tell you is with an ergonomical carrier that spreads the weight better on your back and spread the weight on your hips, you can comfortably carry a three-year-old. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> I yeah, pick up my one and a half year old. Yeah, um, toddler carriers now are there and even preschooler carriers, some of which are tested to 25 kilos. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 
I bet they're good for doing lunges and really getting well, that. You know, <laughs> that takes you to carry your child for six hours a day. But, you know, have you not seen, we've all seen um, uh, parents pushing um, an empty pushchair and having a two-year-old on balance on their hip because the two-year-old wasn't happy in the pushchair. Yeah. So they're pushing an empty pushchair while trying to balance a, a child on their hip with no yeah. support. That's mm. a lot harder on your spine and your arms and, mm. than using a, a carrier that's, bring the child close at that day you'd be carrying on your back usually you know you you won't carry a big child on your front because you wouldn't see where you go. <laughs> no. and and then you know it's it's much more comfortable to give the child a quick piggyback with a carrier mm. than it is to just like have them in your arm because uh, you see these kids you know two three years old they go oh, i want to go up i want to go up you know yeah. and the parents say no and eventually they relent because you know the, the, the kids don't mm. give up do they yeah. And, um, yeah. Yes. Now I want to talk about the other stuff that you do because you talked about um, when I think it was before we started chatting. One thing that you told me about was that you do a closing the bones ceremony yeah. and you also do some rebozo. So um, these, I mean, closing the bones. I've heard a lot about it, but I have no idea what it is. I have to confess. And so I'd love for you to tell me and the listeners mm. a little bit more about what closing the bones is and why it's so important and valuable yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah. So closing the bones is something I discovered through a an Ecuadorian midwife called Rocio Alarcon. She lives in the UK. She's also somebody who's got a PhD in ethnobotany. She's wow. a fascinating woman. Um, and what she said, I think it was three years ago, I, I went to a retreat and she gave a, a, a one-day workshop about closing the bones. And what she explained, um, she said that after the birth, women's hips are open. And that actually can be shown by MRI scan. You know, your hips get wider as you, mm. the more pregnant you are. And she said, nature will take care of closing all that back. But she said that if you don't help it, it might take a long time. And while this is happening, not only the women tend to have instability in their pelvis, but they, they also leak energy. Mm. And so Rocio says, you know, the women are depleted because nobody's closed their bone. And she said, lots of old ladies in our culture have problem with Zimmer frames and hip repressment because nobody's closed their bones after the childbirth. Oh, I see. And so what what the technique she taught us is it involves um, some hip rocking on the floor using a cloth. In in Ecuador, they call the cloth a manta. In in Mexico, they call the cloth a rebozo. We're talking about a shawl. Mm. We're talking about a piece of cloth that women would have had. When they were younger, they would use it to carry things. They would use it to keep warm, you know, as through, through pregnancy and birth, midwife knew how to use this cloth to provide comfort and support, same during the labor. And then after the birth, you can use it to close the women's hip and you can use it to carry the baby as well. So it's a very versatile um, piece of fabric to have. But the closing the bone involves some very specific rocking movement. And I can't really explain them because they're a very different type of movement you do with your wrist to... Um, well, kind of shake the bones back into position. It's, 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 a, it's a rocking with a bit of jerking movement in it, with different types of jerking movement that you do at different points. Mm. And so the woman's lying down on the cloth with a cloth wrap, wrapped around her hips, and you're standing above her holding the end of the cloth in your wrist, and you're, you're rocking her. Okay. And then once that's been done, and how long you do that is based on how, what kind of um, – impression you're getting from her you know mm-hmm. at least five ten minutes of that and then mm-hmm. after that uh, um, you start doing a massage of the abdomen and hips and what is really fascinating for me is that Rocio because of the way she was trained tra- in a traditional way with her mother and grandmother she doesn't talk about anatomical landmarks she doesn't talk about joints and things like that she talks about a lot of energetical 
energetic aspect of the work. But I have very, I am very lucky in Cambridge to have a friend who's an osteopath. His name is Teddy Brooks, and um, I did the, the technique on him, and he's been able to tell me everything it does um, wow. to the body, and actually does really significant things. So Welcome. it's he's confirmed he said to me that the massage is both very gentle and very effective in um, articulating the pelvis back into the position that it should be after the pregnancy has has finished you know he Mm. says that there's a lot anybody can look on YouTube and if you look at postural changes during pregnancy you see what the spine and and pelvis undergo is tremendous changes Mm. you know part of the technique is helping that back and then the massage itself, um, it has an aspect, it's massaging the abdomen and the hips. There's a whole series of movements. Again, difficult to describe because you have to do them to understand how to, to do the massage. But some of the movements are designed to help the um, your organs like the bladder and the uterus move back into place. Mm. Um, some of the movements are designed to help uh, articulate the joints around the pelvis. And there's... Beyond the sort of physical aspect, there's a big element of the massage that helps women come back to their center. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is I have done, so I've trained over, uh, I've worked with a, another local doula called Madi McMahon, and together we've trained over 100 people in doing the massage. And I have done the massage on many of my clients, and women and friends and the women I've trained, and people keep on saying the same thing. Without talking, they don't know each other. They keep on talking about the same thing, that how they feel They feel is bringing, bringing them back to themselves. They feel um, held. They feel nurtured. They feel stronger energetically after the massage. They feel that um, it's healing when there's been trauma. Mm. Again, that, that comes a lot. You know, women, even women who've had their babies 10 years ago talk about there's big emotional releases often during the massage. Um, and very tremendous thing that happened afterwards. Like I've had so many women who suddenly their periods came back for the first time after the birth, the day after they had the massage. Oh, wow. um, I had a client, I remember, who said she had a big row with her husband and they felt really clear the air. And the next day they felt it was back being good again since the birth two years ago. Oh. I had a client who uh, moved her child to his own room the day after the massage. He was uh, a toddler, you know, uh, and all this kind of very significant, like, like you've closed, you helped the mother close a chapter, a chapter you helped acknowledge what she's mm. gone through. The, the last client I massaged last week, uh, she said to me, it felt like somebody was saying, acknowledging what my body had gone through. She said, you know, it felt like somebody saying, put the hand on my muscles and say, thank you. And yeah. put the hand on my hand on my uterus and say, thank you. Yeah. And she said it was very, very profound and, and significant. Mm. And I think that's uh, the whole thing behind that is we don't have that in our culture. So beyond the actual closing the bone, what I've started to, to research since I've um, started teaching that is that there is traditions like that everywhere in the world. Mm. My friends from Kenya, she says, you don't lift a finger. You get you get um, people fighting over who's cooking for you. Um, she said, you don't even wash the baby. She said, you don't even wash yourself. My Indian friend, she says, after the birth, uh, a mother recruited some old lady from the village and got a full body massage every day for oh. days. Yeah? Wow. And that's what I'm talking about. My Chinese client, they also talk about this. There's this thing in China. My husband's Chinese. There's this thing called doing the month. During, again, this whole idea of a period of 30 to 40 days during which people look after you and you don't mm-hmm. do any housework. 
and you don't cook and people just nurture you. And we had it too in the UK. It used to be, there used to be a tradition called churching and women wouldn't go to church for 40 days. And then at 40 days, they'd come back to church and that was a ceremony that they were coming back to the community. And so it's not that, it's not something that we've not had. It's something we've lost, we've forgotten. And I'm sure, you know, you, it's difficult to find accounts of it because like traditional women think they don't tend to be written about. It's all tradition work. Um, and so there's a, there is all these nourishing traditions around the new mother, around the new family, that I think we we really have to reclaim because we owed that. You know, we it's our birthright. We, we we people should demand it. You know, they shouldn't be given flowers and, and baby grows and stuff toys for the baby. They should be given you know delivered home home cooked meal and uh, daily massage and closing the bones and. Um, I don't know, people coming to, to clean their house and just basically cooking them a casserole and then leaving them to have a nap whilst they're doing it and not actually having guests to come and expect you to make them cups of tea. Yeah, yeah. Now, all this sounds, I mean, it just sounds like music to my ears and I just think you're absolutely right. We just need to reclaim some of this stuff. And, and, and also it is so difficult to find out about some of these traditions. And so let's say there's somebody listening and she's like oh my goodness I would love to have some more of these rituals or traditions and introduce them maybe there's somebody pregnant listening well there will be somebody pregnant listening who maybe wants to start doing that during their pregnancy what other traditions can you share with us that a woman could start doing now to sort of start really honoring what she's going through and preparing Mm. and 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 starting to treat the pregnancy and her upcoming birth with the importance and focus that that maybe you know that the tradition would have given it before yeah so there is a um more soulful alternative to the baby shower so the yeah. baby shower and i guess everything i'm saying is the same for postpartum don't buy stuff for the baby you know the baby doesn't care about no stuff. doesn't need anything comes, you know? <laughs> really. so um the, the 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 mother blessing uh ceremony it's it's a mother-centered, soulful alternative to the baby shower. So I can't tell you exactly what it looks like because everybody's different. The idea is you tailor it to the mother, so it depends how much she is into woo. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when I facilitated things like that for friends, um, it involved you know sitting in a circle. Um, passing, um, everybody would bring a bead and we'd make her a necklace that everybody had brought a bead that they felt was meaningful for her mm-hmm. and we'd make her a special labor necklace out of that and we'd all bind our breast with a bit of red thread and keep it until the baby was born and we'd all pass a candle around and um, give her blessings, you know give her strength and good wishes and things like that for the birth and she'd keep the candle to light up when she'd go into labor and um, I've We've done things like uh, painting a belly bump with henna, you know, mm-hmm. doing this henna tattoo on the bump. And again, it can be completely tailored. You know, some people will like that. Some people will not be into that. We've read, we've sang song in circle. We've read poems. We've read stuff that was meaningful for her. And um, we've read stuff that, you know, we've basically tailored, tailored it to her needs and make sure that um, she felt honored and touched and supported by a group of wise women around mm. her. Ideally, you want, you know, people you feel really in tune with and you want ideally women who have already given birth mm. or not, you know, it depends, but people that are going to form a really lovely circle of women around you. And then after that, um, those women, it's really awesome if they can come back. 
after the birth and help close the bones. Because mm. one of the parts of the closing the bone ceremony I haven't t- talked about is that you can also wrap rebozos all around the woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. So rebozos around the head, rebozos around the shoulder, rebozos around the hips, rebozos around the knees. And if you have a group of women, if you can have two women holding each end of the cloth, wrapping her and holding mm. the cloth. Oh, Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, As yeah. she just rests there. Yeah, and it's yeah. very meaningful and very significant to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'd imagine those mother blessing ceremonies when there's all those women coming together, sort of imbuing that, that the beaded necklace that you talked about. And so the mother can really sort of tune into that in labor and help her with the oxytocin boost that she can connect yeah. to that. And it can really help her when she maybe feels like she needs this, the help and support and strength that she's drawing on, she can draw from that. So that can sound like a really powerful thing to go through. Mm. Now, I'm curious, are there any traditions that are maybe more focused on the baby, sort of maybe preparing, welcoming the baby for its journey earthside or, you know, before it makes the journey? Are there any traditions around that that maybe are focused around the baby? Or I'm just trying to think. I've not heard personally any particular i'm not aware i'm sure there are mm. i'm sure there are some around mm. that are that are more focused on the baby i kind of made a lot of stuff up when i was pregnant but i'd spend a lot of time and and would gather friends we had some sort of healing sessions or some focused energy sessions on mm. nurturing the baby and just letting them know that they were in a safe place and that we were looking after them looking out for them and talking to them yeah. singing to them that kind of just sort of treating them like a human being yeah. while they're still inside rather than I, I guess, um, kind of thing. One of the things I do encourage parents to do is I talk about the fact that um, babies um, are soothed by what they've heard. Mm. Whereas, you know, when they're born, they're soothed by what they've heard in labor. I don't know if you're aware of it, but there's a study where there was um, a group of ing- women that were watching, I think it was neighbours, so those women would have watched that yeah. hundreds of times during their pregnancy, and when the baby was born, and the tune to that soap came on, they'd stop crying. Mm, mm, so mm. I encourage people to have something that they talk or sing, or music or something like that, they, they you know, connect with the baby before yeah. the birth, yeah. and that then they can do that again after the babies come skin side yeah I did that well I, I read that research as well but in between my pregnancy so in my second pregnancy there was a little song a kind of repetitive song that's based on the French song uh, Frère Jacques yeah but um that I could sort of was very hypnotic I could re- do it on repeat so that if I was really tired I could just hum it without thinking and I would sing it a lot when I was pregnant but then now when she was a little baby I'd you know if she struggled sleeping I could just sit by her cot and just sing that and that would just send her off yeah, and I would always go back to that, and it was a very easy one for me to kind of resort to, and that mm-hmm. definitely worked really, really well for me. So I'd certainly encourage people to, you know, tap, you know, not necessarily something like Neighbours or EastEnders. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Did you know that, for instance, I can't remember which part of South America is from, but there's a, you you can buy a little necklace called a bola. Do you know what that is? No, I don't know. So, so a bola is a very long piece of string with a tiny little bowl that you wear on your bump and the bowl's got little chimes inside. Wow. You're a bit like those little Chinese bowls that you can... Yeah, like the Tibetan ones. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the bola is designed so you wear it on your bump so the baby hears a chiming sound and then oh. when the baby's born you wear it on your neck so that the chiming sound still helps. Calm, calms them they, they've got the connection to that sound that you've got you can just jiggle it when you want to help 
card. Yeah. Don't. Oh, I think I've seen somebody wearing one of those. But yeah. yes, that sounds like a lovely idea as well. I have to try. And and I'm get sure the culture and the world must have tradition, mm. other traditions around things like that yeah. that you wear yeah. once you're pregnant. Certainly, when you know coming back to the pregnancy, um, there's a lot of usage of cloth to support the bump. Mm. Um, traditionally, you know, many many culture would have had a shawl. Mm. Or some kind of piece of fabric that they would use like that to wrap wrap mm. around the mm. lower part of the bump and support the hips mm. while it's pregnant. So, what other are there any other traditions that you're aware of that you think it's worth sharing that I that I don't know about that I can't even ask about because I'm just so lacking in knowledge in this area that you'd like to share that you think that women need to know about? Um, let me think. I mean, in a more global way, I think people need to start reclaiming. Um, the fact that they need more soulful and spiritual and emotional nurturing and during mm. the pregnancy and and during the perinatal, the whole perinatal period. What parents need to demand, in a way, is the fact that when the, their baby's born, people are all focus on the baby, but the parents are born up as parents, so they need looking after too. They mm. need this kind of, the same kind of nurturing that the newborn baby needs in a way you know and mm. many cultures around the world have that mm. i understand that in japan for instance they spoon feed the new mother wow um and you know that that parents need to start telling people that they don't want present for the baby but they want somebody to offer a gift of bringing them casseroles for for a couple mm. of weeks after the birth that um, somebody's going to come and massage the mother that somebody's going to come and clean the house that's going somebody's going to come and deliver some shopping but mm. you know that they can just be mm. in their nest for a bit and mm. other people are taking care of the mundane tasks you know that that they're not, not getting all these visitors who are coming and making them feel exhausted yeah um, i was very fortunate during my first pregnancy where a friend of mine who's indian and she came to stay me with stay with me for a whole week and did that she just cooked me gorgeous indian food that used the right kind of spices to help Mm -hmm. to kind of nurture me and build up my strength did the housework i felt terrible that she was cleaning my house but she (laughs) insisted on it and i was just looked after for a whole week and i found that so touching and so powerful and just so yeah loved and nurtured and, and all that good stuff and i was i feel so lucky to have had a friend support me in that way mm-hmm. um at that important time when i became a new mum and and yeah if you can find you know even if you even if you so, you're able to help another woman in that way to yeah. do what you can is just really powerful for her and help her to feel that she can really do this mothering thing that's going to be quite a big deal for her when it's her first one isn't it i think that i heard the idea from a, somebody who works around mental health in the perinatal area which somebody who's called mia scotland mm. um she talked at the doula uk conference a few weeks ago and she said and i'm going to start talking about that she said you should encourage people to write a post, postpartum care postpartum plan the way they write a birth plan you know mm. write a okay so what am i going to put in place so there's people looking after me once I've had my baby. There's a whole range of things that are available, but most people don't know it's there. And they kind of think they don't need it. Mm-hmm. Only when they come out on the other side and it's the reality of becoming new parents to a, a baby it hit them, mm-hmm. then they realize they need that. But it's not even articulated and, and people don't encourage that. They encourage this go back to normal thing. Because mm-hmm. yeah. let's be honest, what do we get in our culture? You know, partners get two weeks paternity leave and then women get left on their own. Um, at home all day with a baby with no social circle because yeah. let's be honest first time mums most of us 
our friends are at work when we are when we have a baby unless we are lucky enough to have a friend who's having a baby at the same time um mm. and you have to recreate a social network from scratch and it's a very i don't know what it was like for you but for me the first time it was a very lonely experience and and being mm. alone again we, we talk about it takes a village being alone at home all day with a baby is not a normal experience for our species no no i found both of my uh, post-pregnancy uh, yeah birth periods very isolating and very lonely because i in my first pregnancy, I did. I met with, up with some people through NCT antenatal classes, but they, they weren't sort of. We didn't connect. They weren't people that I would have naturally normally yeah. been hanging out with. And then I didn't do classes for my second one because I thought oh, I've got this whole birth thing sorted. I know what I'm doing. And so I didn't. Yeah, so I just didn't have that kind of network. And and I I just yeah. I think my second after my second baby, I, that's when I started writing my book. <laughs> and so I had to keep myself busy because yeah, there really isn't anything it's really difficult to go out and then you, you know you've got a little baby that just needs to be fed and nappy changed and you've got to go out with this whole bag of stuff and I, I just thought and it was winter when I had my little one I was like and it's snowing I like I'm not going outside I'm just going to stay at home and and yeah it's very easy I can see how easy it will be for a woman to feel and fall into something like postnatal depression yeah and that's why I think we need these networks of women coming together and and are you aware of any ways that women can tap into some of these important networks locally or what if there's a woman listening going i really really want to seek out some of this kind of support you know one thing that was available to me is i could have gone to some sort of local health centers and and but they I, every time i went there it was all very clinical it was all very didn't mm. feel very right i wanted something more soulful like you yeah. described something more nurturing so, uh, you know i think every new family should have a postnatal doula mm. um because I, I sometimes to quote a friend describe it as having your mother-in-law but without the baggage yeah that's you perfect know, because <laughs> what i'm the thing i'm seeing a lot of in my postnatal doula work is that nobody else but the doula listens to the mother without having their own agenda mm. so they get told oh you should do this or you should not do that and you should um i've just come back this afternoon from seeing a mum who was telling me she was told you're doing it wrong you should you're spoiling the baby you're doing this you're doing that and she said i know that i'm doing it right but it's still it's still making me feel vulnerable and you know it's still making me feel doubting myself mm-hmm. and that's kind of nurturing you know helping parents find their way mm-hmm. without an agenda you know supporting them unconditionally so that journey is mm-hmm. um doulas don't bath the baby for you i get asked all the time what's the difference between a doula and, uh, and hiring a, a maternity nurse i said well as far as i understand maternity nurses look after the baby for you whereas a doula looks after you so you feel strong enough to look after the baby yeah, yeah so yeah. we might have parents bath the baby but the way i tend to do it is i sit on my hand in the bathroom yeah. whilst the mother bathes her baby and when she said does that is that all right i say i don't know does that look all right <laughs> you know does it feel all right to you yeah, yeah, yeah. and and going from there and and mm. I, we try to work ourselves out ourselves out of a job so that by the time we've been there for you know typically a few weeks um it's usually tears off you know you sense that the parents are doing actually okay and it's mm-hmm. great because you you want them to to be doing like actually they can mm-hmm. they can do it without somebody else around but the first I would say the first four to six weeks, you know, having some kind of network, support network in place. Um, yeah. And not just the practical stuff, you know, not just having food delivered or a cleaner or you know, having some, lots of the doula work in the postpartum period is very much um, emotional support, mm-hmm. the kind I've just talked about, you know. Yeah. Um, 
there's the expression intelligent tea drinking because it if somebody booked in upon a doula with a new mum, it might look like all they're doing is having a cup of tea. But the mother's feeding her baby and the doula's just listening. As she talks about herself, as a new mother, um, I find that you have to redefine who you are. And as a new father too, there's even less stuff support-wise for the fathers. But, you know, having somebody to help you understand who you are now, because once you've become a parent, you're not the person you were before you had the baby. And sometimes I liken it to... When you're, you remember being a teenager and you're not a child, you're not an adult, you yeah, don't really yeah, know yeah. who you are and it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. I think when you become a new parent, especially for the first time, yeah, yeah. it feels a bit like that. Yeah, like yeah. you've been pulled apart and the feet, the, you're trying to put the pieces back together. And again, mm-hmm. what I see a lot of mothers doing and they, they're not having a good time doing that is they... They try to do it like they did before they had the baby because I know I did that. Because yeah, that's that? all you've got to hang <laughs> yeah, on to. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, running around like a headless chicken every yeah. time the baby's asleep and then not getting any rest, not getting any time to yourself. And, and um, I love, you know, with a new mother, you'll often find me with a baby tucked in a sling whilst the mother's having a bath or a shower knowing that she's not going to have to run out of the bath because <laughs> yeah. the baby's crying. It's it's like having a day at the spa, you know, yeah. when you're a new mum to have a, a long, long soak in the bath. I know. Can I, I, can I have one of those today, please? Yeah. <laughs> I still get that now, you know, my two. Goodness, just not being interrupted, not not being interrupted in the middle of the night. Could somebody just take my kids in the night yeah. if I could sleep all through, please? That would just be yeah. lovely. Have you ever seen the, there was... Um, there's this cartoon like that where this um, for Mother's Day the dad said, "Oh, should I buy you a pair of shoes?" And she said, "No, actually, I'd like a line and I'd like to have a bath in a tribune and go to the toilet without an audience." And he said, "That's far too hard. Which pair of shoes should I buy you?" <laughs> Gucci, Jimmy Shoe. I'll buy anything, not the bath. <laughs> Well, Sophie, it's been absolutely lovely listening to you sharing all this, just all this really interesting stuff that I certainly didn't know a lot of it. Is there anything that we've missed that I should have asked you about and I haven't that you think my listeners would appreciate hearing? No, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I would really encourage women to go and talk to um, people from other cultures about, mm. you know, what they get because much of my discovery here happened because I asked Every time I meet people who are not from this country, I said, but what did you have? What, what do they do in, in back home, you know, when the mother, when there's a new new mother? What, how do they look after her? Hearing those stories yeah. so that you realize actually um, here we we need to reclaim the way that yeah. we used to have, you know, that. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that the more women have experiences like that, this nurturing held experience in the first few weeks after the birth that they, other women will have heard about it and then will go and say, that that's mm-hmm. what I want, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And yeah. it won't sound selfish or weird because that's yeah. the thing people often don't dare to ask. Deep down, they feel that need yeah. for, for for this nurturing, but they, they don't want to ask for help because that's mm-hmm. it. And as a part of our culture is you have to pretend everything is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you have to go back to normal yeah. as fast as you can after the birth. And yeah. But in fact, that nurturing starts well in your pregnancy, you know, looking after yourself and and thinking about preparing for your birth in a kind of emotional way, in a in a in a spiritual way. You know, you're about to have this 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 incredible, powerful event that 
is incredibly spiritual if you'll allow it to be that mm. and a lot of women don't prepare they might work right up until the birth and not that's right and sometimes they have to that's not i'm not coming from place of judgment but you know it's about really preparing for this monumental event that's coming mm. your way and and if people spent as long preparing for their birth they did preparing for their wedding we'd be in a yeah. much better place wouldn't we i know and I the know. budget as well like even if they put half the wedding budget towards the preparing for birth and not on prams and nurseries and you know all the little stuff that babies actually don't need but actually yeah. on preparing mum and dad for yeah. having such an amazing birth you know that would be i think that would be transformative for um for families to to invest in themselves and in birth and in parenthood in that way don't you think definitely yeah, there's a comparison, you know, people say all that matter is a healthy baby. No, mm-hmm. you know, just like if somebody said, oh, you had a really crappy wedding and the flowers didn't turn up and it rained and the caterer hadn't brought the right <laughs> food and people would say to you, well, it's all right because all that matters is a healthy marriage. Yeah, yeah. I didn't quite cut it, with it? Yeah, at least you got the ring, honey. No, that's <laughs> not quite the same. I love, I love that analogy. I love that you drew that like that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Well, Sophie, if people want to find out more about your work, the closing the bones, I mean, the rebozo, all that stuff that you've talked about, where can they check you out online? Where can they come so and find you? My website is called sophiemessager.com. So that's the French spelling of messenger, which is M-E-S-S-A-G-E-R, okay. not messenger. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll have a link in the podcast show notes for the episode so you can get all that there. And there are going to be, we've talked about some videos as well showing what the rebozo looks like mm-hmm. in closing the bones. So we're gonna, I'm going to put some YouTube videos as well within the podcast show notes for today's episode. Well, thank you so much, Sophie, for joining me thank on the Theory of Childbirth podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Alexia. Bye. I hope you found that as interesting as I did and I hope there's something in there to help you on your pregnancy journey so that you can honour it and make it even more special and lovely and all that lovely, lovely stuff. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Sophie is giving away her baby wearing tips. So if you want to have that as a free download, then you need to go to the podcast show notes where there'll be a big download button and the show notes will be available for this episode at fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash 203. This is episode 203. That means series two, episode three. Um, So just go to 203 and that's where you can find out all the details. There's going to be links there as well to Sophie's website and her work. Also, there's going to be some videos in there for uh, rebozos and closing the bones and that kind of thing. And also some of the other things that Sophie mentioned during our chat. So you just need to dive right in there to check out all the useful links and things that Sophie has provided. I hope that today has been a useful episode for you and if you have anything that you would like me to cover on the show then please feel free to email me at fearfreechildbirth.com okay see you next week bye for now thanks for tuning in you've just been listening to author and birth coach alexia leachman from the fear free childbirth podcast If you enjoyed listening and would like to show your support for Alexia and the podcast, you can become a friend of the show and receive even more exclusive content. Visit www.fearfreechildbirth.com and become a friend today. Until next time.